Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Molk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as media reporter at crikey underscore news in Melbourne, formerly of Adelaide, likes tomatoes and economics. Don't tweet about tomatoes. That'd be weird. Humans of Twitter is their stories, in their words, in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's addition to the Humans of Twitter list, Miriam Robin. Hello. Hello, Miriam. Thank you so much for joining us. Tell me, in social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Um, I tend to go with my name, to be honest. Uh, when I'm talking to someone who's not a journalist, if you say you're a media reporter, they can get confused because... They think aren't all reporters in the media. Um, what, what do you do that's different from all journalists? <laughs> Which can just take a bit of explaining. Um, but but generally I just say my name and, and if they delve into my career, I just say I'm a journalist. Do you find when you're socially connecting with other journalists that your reputation precedes you? Um, Yes, I think. Uh, if not my reputation, certainly Crikey's reputation. Um, sure. And, and Crikey probably has a, a stronger reputation for its media reporting than it does for a lot of other things. So, you know, all of their assumptions about Crikey normally apply to you as the media reporter. Um, yeah, uh, it's, it's kind of good because it, you can tell a lot about people by how they react immediately. Um, if someone yep. thinks that it's interesting that you work for Crikey or, or, you know, they're sort of slightly intrigued, I can normally tell that they're someone who's a, probably a bit of a rat bag who'll, um, who'll be fun to talk <laughs> to, uh, where some people get a little bit uncomfortable and, um, and you know, I'm, I'm sure they're, they're perfectly interesting people once they let their guard down, but it sort of suggests that, you know, their guard is up a little bit higher and it might be a bit harder to talk to them. You'd surely get a lot of either good leads, off-the-record comments, or even some amazing gossip that may turn out to be nothing, in being a media reporter in those kinds of situations, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, a, a lot of my best tips just come from um, me being in a situation and someone come up to me and say, oh, you know, I've, there's this thing going on, I've been meaning to tell you about it, and, and they'll just sort of chat to you. Um, a lot of journalists, depending on the organisation, of course, but but some journalists fear that, you know, their their work email accounts are monitored, um, that it can yep. be hard for them to, you know, speak without their employer finding out. So, so sometimes a social situation is just the, the safest way, I guess, um, for them to have a chat. Uh, I guess I... I basically do media news for Crikey's readers, who, who we take as being uh, readers of, of newspaper broadsheets and, and you know, the, the Fairfax uh, tabloids or compacts as well. Um, so it's not really um, it's not really media news about the media so much as, as media issues that would interest broad readerships. Um, mm. So so that means, you know, I, I do hear a little bit of gossip, but um, sometimes I don't run it because it's, it's kind of hard to justify um, the, the broad public interest or, or the general interest in what I'm hearing. But, uh, but it is interesting. Yeah. Well, we're in the midst of, a, a, I guess, to, in the same use of the word interesting, an interesting time when it comes to Australian media ownership and, and laws changing and those sorts of things, aren't we? Yeah. Um, I, I find this, to be honest, um, 
with I, I take it you're referring to the the media reform laws. I find this a little yes. bit of a. I mean, it is important. I'm not going to say it's not important, but I find it a little bit of a beltway issue in a way. Um, I'm I'm not sure. I, I kind of find it hard to justify to readers why they should care about this in the short term. Um, yep. Given that uh, you know the laws still have to get up, and and then once they do get up, it'll take a little while before we see the the mergers or, or whatever happens out of them. Um, so. So a lot of people, you know, a lot of media reporters have been reporting on the media law changes in, in a great deal of detail, and, and I think they're doing a fine job, and I'm kind of happy to leave it to them. Um, I tend to not look into the issue in, in all that much detail. You don't think that there's a lot of jockeying, given that this has been, uh, you know, a conversation on the table within commercial free-to-air television in Australia for the last six to 12 months, mm. seriously. Yeah. You don't think there's a lot of you know, business deals and meetings and preparation and planning and all that sort of stuff taking place ahead of uh, the formality of what they want to happen? Look, maybe. I'm sure there's meetings. I mean, you know, meetings always go on. Um, and, and, you know, there's there's quite, if you if you read what's in News Corp, there's quite advanced um, you know, yes. speculation between uh, Fairfax and Nine, for instance. Um, but, a- again, you know, if you look at this from the, the impact of what this will mean for readers. I kind of think, you know, of course there'll be impacts on media diversity and all of that. Maybe there'll also be impacts in terms of a more financially stable media sector and, and maybe that'll benefit, you know, viewers and readers as well. Um, so it's just, it's just really complicated, I think. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm kind of just, just watching and waiting <laughs> to see what happens really. Miriam, what are you passionate about? Um. I like um, I like economics. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I did an economics degree at uni, and um, that kind of changed my life. Um, so I I still read a, a lot of economic news. That's a real passion of mine. Um, I like I like journalism that isn't about the news cycle. Like I, I really yes. like reading um, long form features and things like that. Um, what else am I passionate about? I mean. I kind of became a journalist because I'm interested in everything. Um, so, yeah, I, I dip in and out of things all the time. How does economics change your life? Um, oh, it, uh, it kind of meant a lot of things about the world made sense to me, whereas they hadn't before. Um, sure. And, and I like the economic way of thinking, which, is, um, which I sort of interpret to mean always being aware of, of the incentives about different players or actors in any situation and, and kind of looking at those incentives to make an informed guess about what the long-term normative behaviour is likely to be in that situation. So I just found it a, an interesting way of looking at the world. And, and I know a lot, there's a lot of critics of economics who um, who really, you know, don't say this is a good thing. Like, you know, economists have a a very distinct worldview and, and they let it seep into absolutely everything because you can apply economics to absolutely everything. Um, not saying that you should, but you can. Um, but, uh, but I found it, you know, a, a really useful way of looking at the world. Do your friends share the same passion for economics that you do? Uh, my husband does, which is useful. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we, um, we talk about that a lot. Um, he he's also really great because he reads very different media to me. So we have long discussions about economics and what's in the news and things like that. Um, yeah, sure. uh, 
and and I made a lot of good friends in my economics degree. Um, a lot of my closest friends I, I met through economics, and they're now doing things in the public service and in banking and things like that, um, which um, which is interesting because it's very different to what I did. Yes, I, I can imagine that media reporting for Crikey isn't exactly, you know, what one might think of when they're off being an actuary. <laughs> Not quite, no. Tell me, what can't you tolerate? Um. This is a strange thing to say on a podcast where you're asking me broad, open-ended questions and I'm taking a bit of time sometimes to think of an answer, but I can't tolerate people who um, open their mouth before they know what they want to say. Um, Excellent, yes. <laughs> I, uh, I find that really difficult to tolerate in meetings. I mean, I, I take it really personally. I kind of think it means that they think their cognitive time is just as important as my wasted time when I'm listening to them thinking. Um, mm. I I kind of wish people would be more succinct. You're working reporting on an industry that is full of people who open their mouths before their brains are even in the right gear, let alone country. <laughs> um, well, you know, you you said what well, what can't you stand, and and it's is sure I have to deal with a lot. Um, so yeah, maybe that's why it came top of mind. Um, but you know, <laughs> I actually think journalists aren't so bad at this. Um. Most journalists, uh, you know, have to write to strict deadlines and, and mm. strict word limits and uh, it, it does make them quite succinct, as does the fact that they will lose their readers if they're not succinct. So, um, yes. Yeah, so I, I don't think the media is all that bad in that respect. <laughs> no, I, 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 yes, I acknowledge that and I'm not going to say any more in case I get in trouble. <laughs> yeah. How do you do? How do you describe your experience of family? Um, uh, I'm I'm really really close to my family. Um, so I'm a I'm a migrant from Egypt. Um, we kind of moved to Australia when I was eleven through a, a number of different countries. So I don't really have a extended family in easy reach. Um, my mm. family's in Adelaide right now. I can talk about my mum and dad. Um, and my brothers. Yes. Um, yeah, but they're they're really important to me. Um especially my brothers. I'm, I'm really, really close to my brothers. I've got two younger brothers. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I'd, I'd say family is, um, yeah, is, is a sort of very, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of very different to my parents. I guess it's inevitable when you're, uh, you know, when you, when my childhood was in Australia and theirs was in Egypt. Um, but nonetheless, I'd say they're, they're extremely important to me. Do you mind if I ask you a couple of questions about that? Uh, sure. That that move from Egypt via the many places to Australia, was that an intentional thing or were you guys getting out, um, for lack of a better phrase? Oh, well, so my, my family's Christian in Egypt and um, that's, that's kind of a big deal. Um, it's a I, – I wouldn't say, you know, they, there's like active persecution of Christians in mm -hmm. Egypt. I mean, at least not Christians like my parents were, which was sort of upper middle class. Um, but – what what there is is there's just a lot of door shut in your face. There's um there's a real sort of society wide drive to make sure that every position of power or every good job or things like that goes to a Muslim. There's a large section of the population who who is really unhappy when that doesn't happen. Doesn't mean there aren't some Christians who rise on the value of their merit, but but it's quite sure. there. And and I think um 
you know, my parents were also educated in Western schools and they just sort of felt shortly after they got married that um, Egypt wasn't really where they, they saw their future and where they wanted to raise their children. So they um, they moved to France for a while and um, and so that was sort of my first language was French and I kind of grew up there when I was a kid to when I was about five. Um, yes. It was, uh, you know, France has very complicated visa laws that are, um, that before the EU were subject to changing quite suddenly. So my, my parents had every intention of staying in France, but um, but then basically dad was between jobs and a new government came in and, and the laws immediately changed very, very quickly such that the fact that my father didn't have a job at that moment meant we had to leave. So we went back to Egypt and for two years and basically my parents were trying to get out that entire time. They looked at migrating to Australia, but um, they, they sort of didn't meet the quite rigorous points system that Australia has for skilled migration. So they did um, get a spot in New Zealand. So we went to New Zealand for a while, for four years. Um, New Zealand has a, a whole bunch of economic problems that can make it quite hard to, you know, unemployment is a little bit of a bigger problem over there. Yes. So I spent four years there, but um, my parents never really got work in their field, but um. But we got the Kiwi citizenship and with that, at that point in time, it was very easy to come to Australia with a Kiwi citizenship. So we did when I was 11 and um, and it worked out really, really well for my parents. Um, you know, they they got jobs in their field and uh, and I've basically been in Sydney and Adelaide and Melbourne since then. And um, yeah, and it was, you know, we're, we're pretty happy we ended up here, I guess. Nice work, bro. <laughs> Yeah, it was good. That's a, a fairly roundabout way to getting to the country that it sounds like was hopefully an original destination. Well, it was certainly. I mean, and it is. You know, if, if you're looking for a, a Western country to move to, Australia has the benefit of being English-speaking. So, you know, in many parts of the world, people learn English growing up, so they won't have to learn a European language. and. And it's yes. also, you know, it was a fairly strong economy, young country, quite a multicultural society as well. I mean, I, I think if you asked anyone in, in the Arabic world who wanted to get out where they wanted to go, Australia or America would be pretty high on their list. How how do our visa laws stack up now? And, and that you may not have even cared now, but compared to what it was when your parents initially tried to get you guys to Australia as skilled migrants... Well, Would they face the same or harder hurdles now? They've gotten harder. Um, you know, a whole bunch of Australian visa classes have been squeezed up from what I understand, um, including things like family reunion visas and things like yeah. that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I Australia still accepts an enormous number of migrants every year. Um, yes. But but it's, you know, I think quite quite targeted and, um, and you know, there's the – the demand far outstrips the supply, I guess. What do you make of the way that Australia is currently dealing with its refugee migration issues? Um, I mean, I'm kind of biased on this, but but I think, <laughs> you know, for obvious reasons, I'm sure you're listening yeah. to realise, but, but I, I think um, migrants and refugees um, – you know, the people who come to Australia, either through migration or, or through, you know, more dangerous methods with their, you know, um, sort of unauthorised refugees, uh, you know, they they self-select for people who are risk takers, who are 
willing to try new things, who are willing to leave their home and make a go somewhere completely different, who, you know, have ambition and imagination and all of those things. And migration and, and you know, whether that's for business or for refugee means is, is an extraordinary good thing for Australia. And, and I think that gets forgotten in the debate. It's almost like people think that migrants or refugees are coming here and they're going to be a, a net negative to society. And and I think, you know, financially, even in the short term, and, and I just think that's that's a really short-sighted way of looking at things. And, um, and yeah, Australia has benefited enormously from migration and I would like to see that be a bigger part of the public discussion. Miriam, what for you then is a source of strength? Um, so I mentioned my, my husband before who is also interested in economics. Um, yeah, I mean, yes. he's, he's probably my principal source of strength. Um, he's a... Uh, yeah, he's he's really great. He he's a software developer, so he's in a very different field to me. But um, but he understands what I do probably better than almost anyone apart from my editor. And um, yeah, and he's um, yeah, he's he's you know really supportive and and great. Is he? Uh, is his background similar to yours? No, so not at all. Um, so he's sort of from Irish Catholic stock. Um, we met in Adelaide. Uh, his best friend from school was doing the same economics degree that I was doing, so I, I got to know his best friend, and and then yep. I got to know Tim. And um, yeah, no, we're we're sort of. I mean, luckily we live really close to each other in Adelaide, so whenever we go back to visit, we can see both our parents at sort of the same time really easily. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, apart from that, no, we um, it's it's quite a fluke that we ended up in each other's orbit. I'd say. Was it a sliding doors moment that brought you together or a natural extension of a friendship? Um, no, it was a natural extension of a friendship. Um, and, and it took a very sort of long time. You know, I, I knew him for, you know, two years before we started dating. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and no, he wasn't He wasn't someone who, like, I would immediately have thought of was, was the kind of guy I would start dating. But, um, but uh, yeah, it, it worked out really well once we did. IT guys are the worst, I reckon, and I say that as an IT guy. We can be really nerdy. But, you know, what's a nerd but someone who's interested in things? I mean, how is that not interesting for for a partner? (laughs) Wow. You really are in love, aren't you? (laughs) Well, yes. um, He's he's very important to me. That is excellent. All too rare (laughs) sometimes these days. Oh, hopefully not. (laughs) Hopefully Less than, um, I mean, you know, it's not very often that people get asked a whole string of personal questions like this. Um, maybe a lot of people are really in love and we just don't know. Fair. Don't be all objective on me now, Miriam. That doesn't help. <laughs> sure. So what's next? What reality TV show would you love to star in? Uh, oh, I hate reality TV. <laughs> something you cover a bit but I oh look I think um look I I found beauty and the geek intriguing yes concept but I mean you know I, I wouldn't want to star in it because I mean if you're one of the beauties you're really dumb and, and if you're one of the geeks you're really clueless you know they really pick for extreme <laughs> so 
But the flip side is that the geeks do get that magical makeover, you know, sort of a, a third to halfway through the show. <laughs> sure. But, um, and, and, you know, who knows, maybe they're not as hopeless as they seem. Maybe they're putting it on for the cameras. Um, Are you suggesting that there's casting stuff afoot, Miriam <laughs> Robin? <laughs> maybe. Uh, oh, look, actually, <laughs> I've thought of one, Grand Designs. I would love to be on Grand Designs, especially, like, I know this oh. isn't what happened, but especially if I got paid to do the makeover, that would be fantastic. Oh, I would love, yeah, I would love to be on Grand Designs, as, but, like, the after guy. Like, come into my amazing house that is incredible. <laughs> Yes, and and you know they are amazing, and it's a great show, and oh. it, it makes you care about architecture, which I don't particularly. Um, so that's a very effective show. And who wouldn't want to sit down and have a lovely cup of tea with Kevin McLeod, looking out either over an ocean vista or rolling hills? <laughs> oh, look, it's it's amazing. They're they're beautiful locations, and I mean, and even the ones who like are in the CBD, like in the middle of mm. London, just have great views. So. Yeah, no, none of those places are crap, are they? <laughs> no. Well, sometimes to begin with, but they never stay that way. Television ruins everything. Miriam, what one thing would you change about your life today? Um, hmm. I would change the state of the journalism industry. And I know mm-hmm. it's, it's not exactly my life, but it does impact on it in a big way. Um, I think it's, you know, both in terms of what I cover and in terms of my own employment prospects. Um, yeah, I I think it's really, really awful that journalism has gotten into this situation um, where it kind of seems like, you know, it just went along for so long with very little thought of how to make it commercially sustainable just because it was commercially sustainable in a really easy yeah. way. Um, and And I think that, I would like to live in a world where people just paid for the content that they enjoyed consuming, not just across journalism, but across all fields. I I think that would be a world that would have a media that was far, far better and that would be more interesting and more targeted at its audience and less trashy. Says the lady who works for a subscription journalism website. (laughs) Yes. Um, (laughs) And and I think it, it provides good incentives when you do. Because you oh, have for a, sure. a select readership um, and everything you're doing is you're thinking, does this work for my readership? And, and you know, you're not trying to aim for a readership or, you know, for a, a, a click or for anything like that. Um, and and that's, that's useful for me as a journalist. You know, I think it pushes me to do my best work. And it's an invested readership, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, highly invested. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I've I've worked on on free websites before um, for private media as well. I, I did a little bit of business journalism before I did Cracky, and and you know the the incentives can be a little bit mucked up because you can do a, a piece on how to write a resume and you you get massive readership, but you know, is this the readership you're targeting? Well, no, but uh, you know, there's always this kind of um, even if it's not you know pressure from above, there's always pressure on yourself if you can see what happens when you write a piece that's targeted really broadly. But yeah. on the other hand, the whole business relies on having a niche devoted readership. So if you go broad, you lose that. Um, so I just found working for free websites a little bit difficult for that reason. I can understand that, says the man who works for a free website that's totally written by amateurs. <laughs> yes. 
Um, but you guys don't do it. You, you have a very targeted um, content strategy, I think, which is, you know, good. I'm, I'm glad that you've identified that. I'll have to take that to our next editorial meeting and goes, <laughs> Miriam thinks we have a targeted strategy. That's great. <laughs> no, we do. And I appreciate you saying that. Oh, look, it's, um, you know, it's, it's what you can do the greatest good and, you know, just very highly targeted coverage of TV. That's good. I'm, I'm a, yeah, I'm know, a I'm happy not... reader. So. No, thank you. I'm, we're not trying to convert people who think TV is a waste of time. That is for sure. <laughs> cool. Excellent. What makes you smile? Um, oh, what makes you smile? Um, I mean, come on. That, that's such a hugely broad question. <laughs> what can I say? It is. Um, what makes you smile? Um, I don't really like comedy all that much. I think I like, oh, you know, like I, I like the wordplay in Jane Austen novels. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I like clever word pre- wordplay you know if i'm reading a book and and i come across a, a witty back and forth i i will smile so some kind of witty back and forth like in the latest nikki sava sava book for example <laughs> there were there were lots of smiling moments in that also a lot of sort of peeking between your hand moments um there were yeah no it was it was a page turner yeah, go and buy something from the second reprint, people. It is a cracking read. But this is not a promotional website podcast thing. <laughs> Miriam, what are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? Um, what am I going to achieve? Um, I guess I, I would like to do, and this is sort of a professional goal, I'd like to do a number of features that aren't strongly tied to the news cycle around how the media operates in Australia, um, Mm -hmm. you know, in different sectors. I mean, I'm sort of struck by how much about how the media does what it does is not obvious to its readership. Um, I think there's a great deal of cynicism around the media and and I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. I mean, you know, you should be sceptical, but I think no matter what you do, there'll, there'll be a certain portion of the readership who think you're awful and... And, and I'm kind of, you know, interested in that. I'm interested in why people don't trust the media. Um, I think most people would be surprised by how much ethical considerations do play into the media um, on a sort mm-hmm. of daily basis. Yes. And, yeah, and I'd, I guess I'd like to do a, a series of articles, you know, that are sort of insidery kind of accounts of, of how the media operates. Um but yeah, that, that's sort of a, a broad goal that I haven't really um, figured out yet. <laughs> but that'd be great. Yeah, well, it's you know you you've got to have like long term goals to keep you interested. I mean, very often my job is um, you know scrambling on top of all the things that are happening that day, and then the other mm. days it's you know trying to just you know squeeze blood from a stone, find a story. That's because you know sometimes <laughs> nothing happens. But I'd like to do pieces that are sort of beyond those two extremes that are things I think about over the long term and maybe spend a couple of months just working on a little bit every week. Those those kinds of pieces can often take the most work, but they bring the most satisfaction, don't they? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I've done a, a handful while I've been at Crikey, but... I can sort of tell you all about them. Um, I, I am quite proud of them and I do remember them. So I should do more. Um, I think too often I sort of just get trapped in the day-to-day. 
It's very easy. There's so much noise just in a media context in Australia at the moment, isn't there? Mm, yeah. Um, it's it's funny how many things are media stories. Um, I I know when you had Nick Christensen from Umbrella on, he made the point that, you know, anything can be a media story. And I think that's very fair. Um, anything can and, and frequently is done as a media story, um, which means... There's lots that shouldn't be, though. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think... Um, I think a lot of politics coverage becomes a media story when you would hope for it to be a policy story instead. Yes. But, um, but you know, that that's sort of the way that all the incentives are lined up. Well, thank you, Miriam. I really uh, have enjoyed talking with you. Thank you for your time. Well, it's been a pleasure. Um, yeah, I hope you got some useful stuff out of that. Some useful stuff. Goodness <laughs> me. I want, to, I want to thank you. Please know that the things you've said are very special and, and you're highly valued, Miriam. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure. And, um, and you know, I, I enjoy the series and I enjoy your work on, on Decider. And, yeah, that, that's why I said right, uh, yes right away, basically. Because, um, yeah, I, I do appreciate it. Very generous. Thank you so much. Very clearly you're on Twitter. Are there any other social accounts you want to admit to? I don't really use Facebook. I have I have a Facebook account, but that's sort of just so I can get invited to things. I'm not good at Instagram. <laughs> um, I'm not good at Snapchat. I mean, I just think I'm not a very visual person. Um, I mm. struggle to tell stories visually. Um, so I have a Goodreads account, but um, I don't know if I don't use that socially. Really, um, I just use it for my own bookshelf. Um, sure. Yeah, no, it's basically Twitter and not much else. This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Miriam Robin is indeed human.